new era of independent music celebration. Indecent exposure. You were convicted of indecent exposure for the third time. That's exactly what it is there, Poindexter. It is four counts of indecent exposure. And I'll probably be judged by a jury of my peers for that exposure one day. But not today. Today is my birthday. Thursday, June 25th, 2015. I'm your host, Jason Velasquez, known in an alternate universe as the Mongrel. Pleased to have you with me here on the show. Indecent Exposure, here at the Greylock Glass. Greylockglass.com. You know, this show is just going to be a powder keg of indie potency. No other way to describe it. Just a just a powder keg. Uh, this evening, tonight, downtown North Adams kicks off the Downstreet Art Festival, summer long extravaganza of of art and uh, of all of all breeds. And to help us kick it off is an artist known as Fantastic Negrito. Given name, Xavier Defrepolis, but he goes by Fantastic Negrito. As he let me know during an interview that we had recently uh, together, uh, this conversation kind of digs deep into his third rebirth, his one, two, three rebirths, and how he got to be standing before you uh, tonight. I know I'm mixing my verb tenses, but I don't care. I'm going to be judged by a jury of my peers for that too one day. And uh, for, you know, comma splicing, split infinitives. I don't care. I will offend again. So Fantastic Negrito is going to be performing tonight, June 25th, downtown North Adams, and we have him right here, right now, both in music and in voice here on Indecent Exposure. Xavier DeFrepolis, it is so good to have you here on Indecent Exposure at the Greylock Glass. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, great to be here. Well, uh, I, uh, I like being called Fantastic Negrito. Oh, you do? I hate your name, but... Yeah, I am Fantastic Negrito. There's only one Fantastic Negrito in the world, and right now he is with you right here on Indecent Exposure. That makes me feel fantastic. It really does. Well, I, uh, I'll i tell you something, Fantastic Negrito. I got to, uh, to see uh, a video of you performing on the NPR Tiny Desk Concerts, and I was blown away. Uh, what, how did that come about? Come about? Well, I'm glad that you're blown away because every time uh, Fantastic Negrito does a performance, I I want to have that impact on people because performing for me is not just performing. It's just a real-life thing happening that's amazing, that you're communicating with people and you're connecting with people, and I, I'm very glad to hear that you're blown away. Because then it makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing. And um, it came about because there was a contest called the Tiny Desk contest and um i think there's about seven thousand bands that uh competed for this um tiny desk contest and 
we were extremely fortunate to uh, be the uh, artists that were chosen. Fantastic Negrito. Very, very excited, very thrilled, and grateful, and humble to uh, be a part of NPR and have an extremely amount of gratitude for uh, Bob Boylan and everyone over there at NPR and Anya. Well, it's it's quite a uh, it's quite a, a showcase uh, for your talent and um, and the talent of of the band that was with you. Is that band uh, band a usual lineup for your act? I think if you not not all the time, but most of the time, I, I switch people in and out, uh, you know, as needed, <laughs> and um, it works out good. Okay, I well, try and keep a cohesive group, but it's pretty much pretty much the usual lineup, but it's always subject to change. Well, I uh, I want to go back. I want to go way back. And um, I see that you're originally from Massachusetts, uh, and, and I think the Berkshires, is that true? Yes, I was born in the Berkshires, believe it or not. Most people don't believe it, but I was born there, and I lived there until I was about 11 years old. And then I moved from the Berkshires to Oakland, California. But Great Barrington was the small town that I was born in. Yeah, it hasn't gotten any bigger, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been back there since I left. You know, so I hope to go back uh, this time. So, twelve—that's a pretty—that's a pretty critical age uh, for a lot of people. And you moved to Oakland. Um, I used to live in Santa Cruz, so I would occasionally find my way up into Oakland. What um, what kind of change did that? Well, rather, what what consequences did that change have on your outlook? Well, it was extremely different because, uh, you know, you're coming from Berkshires and the Berkshires is a bit more, uh, homogenous than, uh, the barrier, which is extremely diverse. And, um, it is a place that was exploding with, um, culture and ideas and music and art. And, uh, it was very exciting and thrilling for a person my age and coming from New England it was just it was a bit of culture shock at the same time but I always appreciated my New England upbringing because it gave me a different aspect on all of this gave me a different outlook on it so I was glad to get the first you know the first you know 11 12 years of my life in the in the Berkshires and then the rest in (laughs) Oakland California I think it's a great mixture very interesting the switch from a very rural um, New England growing you know, upbringing to a super urban environment, did that make you kind of reassess what kind of interaction you would have with the world? I mean, just that, that switch, that transition from rural to urban? Yes. I mean, it was, uh, as I say, it was mind-blowing. And it, it um, you know, it was diverse. I, they weren't, I was basically one of the only people of color in the uh, Berkshires and when I got to you know the Bay Area it was just everyone was, was people of color and that was uh, fascinating to me and uh, you know the big city and the big buses and trains that was fascinating to me and you know I got into a lot of trouble basically you know it was it was uh, it was a life it was exciting got into a lot of trouble and it did change my interaction with uh, people I think it made me think more globally. Mm. It opened my mind that there was this whole other world out there, and it was 
really interesting and there was music and art and culture and it was it was mind blowing. Now you came from you came from a fairly uh, orthodox Muslim background, did you not? I did. Did you retain that once you got to Oakland or or, or no? Absolutely not. <laughs> I when I when I came to Oakland, I mean it was just it was just on, you know, I just joined I, I just ran with my little brothers on the streets, you know, I just became kind of a street kid and I was uh, very attracted to that lifestyle and that culture and um you know, this was like early this was like eighty, seventy nine, eighty, I mean. And uh it was the beginning of hip hop and punk and this whole all this amazing energy was in the streets. And I immediately took to the streets. I mean, I, I literally left home and never returned. And I just lived, I just, I was, I was just so enthralled and so taken by, uh, street culture at that time. Now, street culture has changed a little bit since then. Um, a lot of bit. A lot of bit since then. I wonder if you could tell me what, what you thought of it as as a teenager and what you think of, of it going back today? Well, I think then there was, uh, I don't know if this is the right word, just my perception is that it wasn't so corporatized. Like everything, there was, there was no internet, you know? There wasn't this this feeling of instant. And so I think that it felt a lot more original and it felt a lot more... Uh, authentic hmm. and it wasn't something that was packaged and sold because mainstream hadn't really gotten into any of it at all especially the music you know they just hadn't they kind of shunned it and that that's that's what i think i feel now there's much you had to be much more creative back then because you were working with much less what do you think it was more honest the music back then Definitely, it had to be, yeah. To survive, it had to be more. Because you couldn't look at something and, co and just copy it, because that was not accepted. Right. Now, when did you start picking up music yourself? Oh, very late, man. I Really, when I was kind of after high school, I mean, I, I had the idea, like, in my junior or senior year. So I hadn't really gotten into the music aspect of it until... You know, after high school, and I was a quick learner. <clears throat> and I started it probably at about 18, and by the time I was 24, I was, you know, had signed with a manager and major label, I believe. Yeah, major label. I think I was 24, 25. I was just a natural songwriter. What kind of music were you doing back then? I don't even know what it was called. I don't. I, I just wrote songs. I mean, people called it R&B, pop. I don't know. The record labels wanted me to be uh, some R&B pop guy, I guess. And I, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was writing. I just had all this music, and it just came out. So it was very raw, and kind of didn't know what I was doing. I just had these ideas, and people wanted to give me a lot of money for it. <laughs> but well, I, I think I was clueless. I didn't. I didn't know what I was writing. I could write anything, and that was great, but that was also terrible for people who were marketing. Hmm. But that really was not to be, apparently, right? 
that was not to be. I mean, I signed this huge deal back then with Interscope, and, you know, I stayed on the label five years, really doing nothing, and uh, then it ended. Now, this this ended with before or because of uh, the the car accident. Well, I think the car accident was a good way out. Maybe they had me insured or something. I, that's what I kind of <laughs> think. No, I really, I think so. I think they had some insurance on me. And then, uh, basically, yeah, I, I ended up in a coma for about three weeks and maimed and mangled. And then, you know, I got dropped. I think I found out in the hospital bed that I was dropped. It's a record label. Record label.
Probably where I I really want to pick this story up because it sounds like a lot of amazing things happened after you came out of that coma. First and foremost, as you discovered that your 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 playing hand uh, was was not functional anymore. Is that the case? Yes. When I came out, I was, and it's not that functional to this day. I came out of my coma and I realized that I both of my arms was severely damaged and would be damaged for the duration of my life. And uh, at first that was, it felt like the end of the world as I lay in a hospital bed recovering. And I think I felt bad for about three days. And after three days, I just became the person. I started drawing from the person that I know that I am. And that is someone that is driven and determined and, doesn't take uh, no for an answer, and I feel like there's always a way. So I just started focusing on recovery, and upon recovering, after I could get on my feet and walk after about a year, I decided that I would kind of, you know, just start writing whatever I wanted to and not caring what labels or category or genre that the music fit into, and that produced about a few albums worth of music that I was able to uh, license and I could still make a living. And so I would, uh, under the names Chocolate Butterfly, I did like this kind of soul R&B thing that did very well and I still license it to this day. And then I did kind of my uh, idea of punk and that was uh, under the name Blood Sugar, Blood Sugar X. And I would really tour and do shows with that because it didn't require me playing an instrument. I could just, you know, get up and put on a good show and scream at people, basically. <laughs> and that took me, uh, you know, it took me all around the country and over to the UK. And that was, I had a very good run with that. And another one called Me and This Japanese Guy, which is this kind of the precursor to maybe Fantastic Negrito. And I didn't even realize it was very bluesy. But it just didn't really sound like what it was supposed to sound like yet. And, you know, I opened up illegal nightclubs, man, and just lived a hell of a life man, for a nice run of about, I don't know how many years that was. Feels like it was about eight years. I had a, it was much more exciting than being on a label. It was gratifying. This nightclub opened at midnight and would close at six and it was legendary. You know, South Central, live music, uh, amazing. It was, the drugs weren't amazing. I didn't do them, actually. There were drugs. I would be alive if I said that there weren't. But it was so cool that the law enforcement would come themselves and hang out when they weren't in uniform and they ordered it, you know, from our legal bar. 
it was just an amazing time in, in my life. But then, uh, you know, I felt a little bit empty after all that decadent living, and I just decided I'd quit. And I really didn't have anything else to say, and I just, I gave it all up, and uh, I decided I'd, you know, become a farmer. And um, moved back to Oakland, because back then I was living in L.A., so I moved back to Oakland and became a farmer and got chickens and fresh eggs and grew some marijuana and, uh, I mean, it just did it all. Yeah, you know, I started a family and, um, you know, it's been a, a nice five-year departure from being a musician. I've sold all my um, equipment and thought this is who I'd be the rest of my life. But I had a son one day and I couldn't put that kid to sleep. And I still had a guitar left, which I never played. And I'd stashed underneath the uh, little love seat settee, orange corduroy love seat in his room that I still, that is still there. And I pulled out the guitar and played an open G. And my life changed again because the reaction that this kid gave me was just something I'd never experienced. It was so, he was just amazed. Like his smile was huge and it was something to see, man. It was, it was life changing. And that started my walk back to, uh, music, which just, which ended up being fantastic Negrito, which I started two years ago. And, um, yeah, that little kid just, I think with that smile and that reaction, he was just telling me that, hey, you know what? Music is amazing. Look how I feel about music, Dad. I feel incredible. And you should feel incredible about it, too. And yeah, I learned from that kid. And now, I thank God. And two years ago, I, I came up with the idea of Fantastic, fantastic with Rito, and I just hit the streets, and I started playing on my guitar every every place that I could play, you know, train stations, donut shops, cafes, on the sidewalk, you know, 2 a.m. <laughs> in my art gallery, uh, Black Ball Universe is my art collective in, in um, Oakland, California. I just And then it led me to the Tiny Desk Contest. And that's basically the story. And now here's like act three of my life. It's it's kind of amazing what kids can teach you, isn't it? And and what what little doors they can open up in your spirit. Yes, it's very amazing. Yeah. Now. Oh, it all came. Uh, yeah, I've got two little ones, and uh, they are my best teachers, the best teachers I've ever had. The. Um, I agree. Um, how 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 old are your kids? Well, now, now he's six, that little guy. And my, I have twin twins, two girls, and they're about a month old. They're really, really young, newborn. Congratulations. And I'm excited about what they're going to teach me. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I can tell you, I had a, I had a girl first, and she's uh, going to turn uh, nine at the end of the summer. And my boy just turned. Okay. Yeah, my boy just turned seven. Yeah, boys are a trip. Girls are a trip. Uh, they. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, I can tell you. Um, 
the uh, they calm you down, don't they? At the same time, they're giving you more life. It's like they renew. They, they, they kind of give you an extension. You know, like you can go to the library and ask for an extension on a library book. I think that kids are kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, they give you an extension. Yeah, uh, I think so. Uh, but uh, well, if you're open to it, man, they can teach you everything. The whole reason I came back to Oakland, which is the best thing that I ever did, was because I wanted to have my son. I knew I was going to have a son. I was like, I'm coming back to have a son. Mm. And uh, he brought me back to this city, man, which, you know, in my view, this city is what really developed me as an artist. And at the same time, you know, I always credit the my, my New England birth, that upbringing, too. I, that always had something to do with it too i'm sure i don't know if i've ever figured out what it is but i feel like i came i come from a different angle because i had that kind of waspy upbringing in a sense it was you know it was a pretty white world i was in and i feel like that that had to have some impact in the way on how i felt as an artist when i came to a, a much different experience in the city of oakland which at that time was chocolate city man it was a very black city you know, with very black mu- music and a amazing, amazing culture. So I, I love that that it was. It's so mixed. Like my 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 uh, sensibilities as an artist, and I think that it's kind of the partially the New England mixed with the hardcore. I have no doubt. Oakland street experience as a, as a kid. Yeah, I moved. I moved from New England uh, to Santa Cruz. And I had much the same experience. I actually had... What What year was your accident? Oh, my accident was in 1999 or 2000. 99, yeah. I, I went out there and I had a, a wreck in... Uh, I guess it was 93, a motorcycle wreck that uh, trashed both my arms for seven months. The uh, The question that I do have for you about about that, it's this question of surviving... Uh, real tragic accidents, really near-death kind of catastrophes. And I'm wondering, is there something that that does for your sense of survival and your sense of, of art that that comes across, you think? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think if you listen to my the music, it, I think it all is about, and I think the whole experience of Fantastic and the Greek was about surviving it's about surviving you know i feel like my life is in three parts and it's about resilience and surviving and you know positive in a sense i don't know i get that people get that from the shows i don't know how positive the music is all the time but i think it ends up being a a positive experience and resilience and survival and Really, people need each other. I always say that, man. I need to, I need, the reason why I do Fantastic Negrito is because I need to connect with people. That's what made me hit the streets of Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley. Man, I'd hit the Bay Area because I was like, the Bay Area is the greatest tribe in the world, man. I gotta connect with these people. These are the people that show me the light here. And, and, uh, I think that's what it's all about. Survival, connecting with people. People need each other, man. They really do. Yeah, yeah, they they do, and you certainly seem to to connect really well anywhere you go, and it's it's astounding. Uh, you've got some resilience that uh, clearly has a lot to do with how you've managed to go from 
um, you know, raising your chickens and and whatnot in Oakland um, to all of a sudden, two years later, you're on the road again. Um, oh, yeah. What uh, Have you always had that kind of drive? Or, or is that something? No, I have I have 13 brothers and sisters, man, and I'm in the middle. I always had that drive because you need to eat, you need to get some clean socks and some underwear, get that last sip of milk with all those kids, you know, competing. <laughs> and I'm very competitive, I think, maybe because of that. I'm in the middle. And if you're in the middle of 14 kids, brother, you're going to have some drive. <laughs> I was in the middle of four, and I thought that that was a lot. Holy crow. <laughs> you know, I mean, we had a whole basketball team and a starting team and backups. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. When there's only a couple more potatoes left in the bowl, you're going to be reaching, and you got to be faster, yeah. Well, you got to be, yeah, you gotta, you're going to be competing. Yeah. And emotionally competing, you know, it's like... Tension. I think a lot of mine has to do with that. It's fantastic to speak to. I think. So, um, so yeah, it's uh, it's all about drive. It's all about uh, resilience and survivability. Um, you're going to be here in in the Berkshires just next week. You're going to be playing at the the opening celebration of Downstreet Arts in North Adams. I will be. What? Uh, how did you get hooked up with that? Let me see. How did I get hooked up with the Berkshire Festival? I just, yeah, I have no idea to be honest with you. I love Somebody it. I call it fate. Then. Yeah, I had no idea. It's just all like happening, and I just said, you know, if it's cool, I'm going to do it. And yeah, I have no idea. Really just, we just a lot of. I think because of the tiny desk. Let's say that because of tiny desk, there's a lot of opportunities. Of course there is. Of course there is. Well, and, uh, I think that's what it what it is. And I'm very I'm grateful to uh, Tiny Desk, and I'm grateful to NPR. They really shine the light on me. They shine the light on the city of Oakland, the Bay Area, and um, I, I'm grateful, man. And I look forward to releasing this EP, uh, you know, and just giving great shows. When is that going to release? Being a real artist. That is going to release any day now. I should know all this stuff, but I, they didn't brief me yet. All right, I'll tell you. Well, we're going to be providing... What's what's the name of it now? Uh, it's just Fantastic Negrito. Just That's a, the name of the EPA. Self-titled. Well, I'll tell you what. We have uh, the show notes, and I'll make sure that I provide a link in the show notes to that EP. Um, and, 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 and whatever... Yeah, it's a deluxe EP. It's a deluxe EP because what it will have on it is Lost in a Cry, which is the song that we did on the uh, to win the NPR Tiny Desk Contest, and we had never recorded that song, so we went and we recorded it, and yeah, it's going to be great. Sweet. Very excited about it. Sweet. Well, we're really excited to have you here in the area again, and I hope you do get a chance to uh, to go drive over to Great Barrington and see that it really hasn't changed much. Um, yeah, and it's been a long Time. I'm going to go. <laughs> well, I guarantee What's you. Up, Great Barrington, your strangest son. Your strangest son returns. <laughs> the strangest yeah, son. Are you, motherfucker? You. <laughs> That's what I'm going. <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to play a couple of tunes. Any tunes that you'd like to, want me to share with the uh, the listeners? Yeah, 
I could play two. Sure, why don't you play? Uh, want you play an honest man, and then play for the ladies. Play the time has come. I want. I was hoping you'd say the time has come. That's a really sweet one. Time has come. All right. Yeah, well, you know, play, you gotta play something sweet, man. You gotta play something sweet. Yeah. Fantastic, Negrito. Right. It has been fantastic, and I want everybody to check it out. Remember, this is a free show. Um, at Downstreet Arts on June 25th, which happens to be my birthday. So um, celebrate oh, my wow. birthday. Yeah. Celebrate my birthday with That's me awesome. downtown at North Adams on June 25th to check out Fantastic Negrito. And uh, I want to say thank you so much for coming on to Indecent Exposure here. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. And once again, this is Fantastic Negrito. And I keep telling people, there's only one fantastic Negrito in the world. I don't know when they'll stop believing. All right, take it easy. All right, brother. Peace. Peace. I am truly blessed with some of the best guests here on Indecent Exposure. That was fantastic Negrito. And I'm sure you'll agree with me that he is an artist with a story to tell. Uh... And that seems to be something of a theme that's developing here on this show, which is that uh, artists who have really waded through the mire and really struggled uh, to find their way along the path and come out on the other side uh, with some real revelations, both musical and personal. And I love those stories because they, they just seem to really resonate with so many people. We heard... Uh, he suggested that we play An Honest Man, and so we did play that kind of in the middle of the interview at a point that I thought was kind of, you know, kind of just right. Uh, we slid in and out of that interview with a song that we're not going to play this episode, but we will try to play that in another episode called A New Beginning, which I love just as much as the uh, An Honest Man. And, you know, I should say that... Uh, you not only can you see Fantastic Negrito tonight in downtown North Adams at the Downstreet Art Festival, but you can also go online to my show notes if you're not there already at greylockglass.com. Click the link for Indecent Exposure in the main menu and it'll take you to this episode. And you'll see in the show notes uh, that there is a link to the Tiny Desk Concert performance uh, at NPR that Fantastic Negrito gave uh, this year. It was it's just a wonderful performance. So do check that out when you get a moment. Right now, we're going to play um we're going to play the other song that he suggested we we spin for you, which is The Time Has Come, which is uh a very a very sweet song. So let's have that now here on Indecent Exposure, The Time Has Come.
lot Soon and dissonant frequencies in the air have Garbled with our own so discreetly Walking down by the power plant Obscuring smiles and vibrations in our hands Cause ooh, 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 ooh I just can't admit to you Immediately following The Time Has Come by Fantastic Negrito, we heard Cyanide Sun by Wishbone Zoe off her 2011 release Incomprehensible Sky. Now, we've played Wishbone Zoe on various podcasts here at the Greylock Glass, and we are very, very honored to have on the line with us Sarah Kohansky, who is Wishbone Zoe, to talk a little bit about her new album, Fossil's Dream, and what it's like being part of the explosive music scene that's happening in, well, mostly the five colleges area. It's probably where it's the, the, the center of Western, Mass, uh, Western Mass's music scene, um, Pioneer Valley, Northampton, Amherst area. It's really, it's really incredible what's going on there. And uh, it's fueled by a number of forces, which we'll get into one day. But um, Wishbone Zoe is one of the acts that has been hailed as one of the one of the artists to watch out for in 2015 and beyond. 
I think that Sarah is a freaking genius, uh, not just because she has recognized the musical potentials of cordless drills, but uh, because she manages to absolutely um, open the floodgates of imagination and let it just pour out uh, into the into the tracks that she lays down. Uh, let's go to that interview right now with Sarah Kahansky, Wishbone Zoe. <laughs> Sarah, it is so good to have you here on Indecent Exposure at the Greylock Glass. How are you doing? Great to be here. Doing pretty well. Yeah, I got to tell you, I um, I was so thrilled when you, you said that you could take some time out to, to talk with us because the um, the music that I have heard from you has been stuck in my head. Almost every single song has this this quality of of being sticky. You know, it just, you hear the song and it just sticks with you. And until I can get to it and play it, that's what's going to be stuck in my head. Um, tell me a little bit about um, this n- new album, which is Fossil's Dream. Yep, that's it. When um, how, how long have you been working on that? Actually, this was pretty, pretty recent, I guess, as far as recording albums and releasing them goes. Um, I put an album out last year in May and that had been like over a year um, uh, process and so this was the winter um, kind of going into, into December into the winter of this year um, I realized that I wanted to kind of put out more music but kind of just you know some back catalog stuff of things that didn't make it to my first album um, and it completely just kind of morphed from there um I ended up going through this like super, all of these like huge changes in my life over this past winter, and it ended up inspiring me, like well, kind of the classic like tragedy brings intense creativity, and um, just kind of I don't know. I ended up writing a lot, and this ended up going from being this little just kind of EP of stuff I wanted to get out of the way into this. Um, into this larger thing. And this was also around the time that I found, I came across a box of these old cassette tapes that I had recorded on when I was a little kid. I had a little tape recorder and I just recorded myself like saying things and like just stuff that I found that I thought was cool and like yelling about things with my friends, um, well, particularly my one friend and um, who I was close with then. And... I kind of liked the idea of having them together as kind of a, like, it's a little hokey, kind of like a coming of age sort of thing. So, well, it turned into a bit of a concept album. I, I was going to say, there does seem to be a thread, and it if there is a thread, it seems to be that you're really, you're not hiding anything. You, I mean, I feel like we're looking into 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 your your past and, and into your personality. Um, do you feel that you're you're pretty open about your emotional um, evolution? Um, I, I would say with this one, um, with a lot of these songs, it was they were way more autobiographical than I've ever written before. Um, normally, I would just kind of I don't know. I've taken a more like visual and kind of theatrical like approach to to songwriting, more just stories and, and images instead of anything but um, anything personal but there were just enough pressing things on my mind that this all felt extremely personal 
and between that and like a lot of the a lot of the cassette tape clips um it was a lot it was actually very difficult to kind of decide to put all of these things out into the opens it felt extremely it kind of i don't know they made me cringe a little bit some of the early stuff there's a risk when when you when it comes to vulnerability, isn't there? There's a massive risk. I mean, there's a reward, but you're putting it out there and you're you're open. Yeah, that's kind of that's what this felt like. That I didn't feel putting out any music before. So. Now, you uh, you describe your music as as sort of junkyard music. What do you what do you, you know, the sound yeah. that you do? How wh- explain what you mean by that? Um, played. I don't know. I had come up with the idea of, of junkyard rock a couple of years ago when I first started. Um, I don't know. I coined the I coined the term after kind of deciding that I wanted to play like electric guitar. This was when I first started doing things with Wishbone Zoe. So this was four or five years ago, actually. Now that I think about it, um, I wanted to play like I wanted to be able to play rock, but I also wanted to bash things. Smash things that I found, um, and decided that I would create this like junk sort of sound out of it. Um, and I ended up getting a looper pedal and working with things that way. But yeah, so it was a little, a little ostentatious. I had, I, I don't know, I decided I, I didn't want to fit into anything, so I want to create my own sound. But I don't know. So that's that's kind of what, and then it just sort of stuck because it had a. Well, I, I think that I think you have created your own sound. I think that um, I mean it's not like you're you're so foreign that nobody can get it that you can't you can't understand it. But there's there's a, a signature you know a signature to it. It's crunchy. I mean it's a really crunchy, raw, um, unabashed sound, and it's it's um, it's not dainty. I'll say that about it. It's not a dainty sound. Um, do you? What's that? Nice, I like that. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe your your next album can just be called Dainty. I don't know. Um, but the uh, the idea of introducing other audio into into your songs, what do you look for when you when you is it that you find a sound that you like and you find a way to incorporate it, or are you looking for a specific something and then you go out in search of it? Um, I would say. Um, kind of changed a little bit over time. When I had first kind of developed this idea, um, it was very important to me for, like, I ended up kind of looking for things based on what they looked like, um, as to kind of give more of a visual aspect. I had a, um, a couple pots and pans for a while, and I had a, uh, an electric drill, actually, like a battery powered drill that was ridiculously heavy and, I would always forget it or it would be taking up massive amounts of space and whatever, whatever gear I brought, but it would have this one sound that I could, I could do. But I ended up, um, kind of moving towards more like the, the things that I, the, the sound makers that I usually bring to, to shows and stuff now are generally just like cans and things that I can find. And it's more about, um, I think I've kind of refined it down to like, I look for more. Or I try to I try to hear for a sound that I like first. Now I've been trying to work more with samples and and loops as well in that sense. So it has become kind of more of a of a sonic sort of thing. I look for that first. T- 
tell me about tell me about some of your your early musical influences and and background. Where did you when did you first find yourself in this track? Well, um, I mean, my dad is a bass player. My mom's an artist as well, uh, but more visual. Um, my dad and or I grew up kind of surrounded by by music by my dad playing with a bunch of different bands and touring and being kind of a session musician. So I kind of um, ended up just, I don't know, I picked up a bass. When, well, I picked up a guitar first when I was eight, and then I ended up picking, like kind of not doing anything with it, and then I ended up picking up bass when I was nine or ten, um, just simply because my dad did. And um, it soon became like just super clear to me that that's, that's what I wanted to do. So I guess it's always really been with me. My dad has always been playing shows. I've always gone to shows as a little kid. So, yeah, very, very lucky with that. It was extremely, extremely important to that. What kind of music was he playing? Um, a variety of stuff, actually. Um, kind of played with, um, he's played with, like, bluegrass people in the past and more kind of, of the folky sort of thing. Um, and more, uh, played with a couple like solid rock bands and punkish sort of bands in Boston, Boston area. Um, his band Swinging Stakes was, um, very rootsy Americana sort of alt country sort of thing. Um, he plays with a lot of kids musicians now and some more indie folk rock sort of thing. So quite a variety of stuff. What a difference it makes to to grow up with music and the arts in your home as as a, as the norm, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it not was, it's not it every was, it's not it's not every kid that has that. Right. Yeah, I didn't quite grasp the the gravity of that until I was in high school or so, starting to like do shows on my own and, and realizing that I was already like steps ahead of where I should probably be just by osmosis, really. So when you were doing shows in high school, what were your, what were you thinking about? I mean, uh, were you thinking about pursuing um, musical education? Were you thinking about performing? What was, what was your hope? Um, honestly, I was not entirely sure. I was kind of, I don't know, I guess at that point I was just kind of trying to rock it as quickly forward and upwards as I possibly could kind of blindly without really thinking about what I was doing. Um, I honestly didn't even really think about college until like the end of my senior year. I was going to a community college for an art degree, which is the other thing that I do not as frequently um, to try to figure that out. But um, yeah, it ended up just kind of, I don't know. I, I think about it sometimes. I try to think of where I'm actually headed with with doing music and with doing Wishbone Zoe, but it, it just constantly seems like I should, I just keep making goals, um, whether it's like booking a tour or putting out this thing that I have and like releasing an album with this thing that I have or writing a song with this in it or playing with these people. Um, I'm just continuing forwards. I guess that's kind of always been the case. Mm-hmm. Now, you playing with other people has been, and it's obviously critical to what you're doing. Tell me a little bit about uh, about some of your connections, your music connections in the area and, and beyond. Yeah, well, I mean, um, 
the Western mass music scene as is kind of sort of becoming kind of a, a it's becoming known um, is just this this area where I live in um, I live in the in Westfield, which is in kind of Springfield, Northampton, Amherst area. Um, becomes clearer and clearer to me that it's this huge, very very rich cultural center. Um, and that's been just kind of once again kind of the osmosis and kind of taking that in while growing up in this area has been huge. Um, so I've had a lot of um, made a lot of connections through just being here. Um, I went to the Institute for Musical Arts uh, summer workshop camps, the rock camps a couple of times when I was younger um, and that kind of that started to shape the reality of what I wanted to of what I wanted to do, being surrounded by people playing music consistently and more um, more specifically women and girls um, playing music without it being like an anomaly or kind of like something that was like a gimmick because I um I didn't experience much of it then but I would um, come to kind of face that as a woman who's playing music. That is a, it is treated as an anomaly sometimes, but well, I wanna, there's a huge I, amount of support for that here. I definitely want to, I definitely want to, I want to want to pause here for a bit because that's mm-hmm. um that's a, a topic that's pretty near and dear to my heart. I mean, I have a mm-hmm. daughter who is going to be old enough next year to to participate in the Institute for the Musical Arts, which is a it's it's for girls and young women, right? It is. So if you want, if you, if you've got a daughter who's interested in rocking out, that's that's the place to go. And I think about I think about um, the movie, The Runaways, which which is um, sort of the microbiography of of what was it uh, Joan Jett and her band back in the day? Yeah, yeah, the Runaways. And I think about you know you talk about how it was an anomaly, a gimmick. It was just something to sell. Um, it was, it was not given a heck of a lot of respect. Um, this band, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if things have changed enough. I mean, you're out there. You're a woman. You're a rocker. Um, do you find that it is a, a still a struggle? Yeah, it's well. It's still it's still very definitely a struggle. It's um, just as it. You know, whether it was, I don't know, I feel like it's been kind of a, it's it's been a thing that's that's been consistent ever since people started playing music, really. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's, um, it's definitely apparent. There will be times where I will play a show and there will be people who talk to me afterwards and then talk to the other people in my band and speak to me differently or, you know, or whether it's even people just kind of you know, being helpful, asking to, to carry gear. But it's just kind of, you know, whether it's it's an intentional sort of thing or whether it's it's just kind of um unconscious. It's it's still very there's a there's definitely prejudice and even if it's just in um the difference between or just um the sorry. Um yeah, it's it's still it's still apparent that it's it, it seems a little bit differently. When you step out on the stage and all you're thinking about is putting on a good show and for yeah. other people, 
you know, you, for you, you don't want it to be a thing at all. All you want is to, to be performing. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's what I feel is that's, that's kind of the difference, whether it's, whether it's a big, whether there's a big deal made of it or not, there's, it does sometimes feel as though, um, like women who play music are seen as woman musicians instead of just musicians, which, um, it's, again, it's not, it just kind of, it wears after a while, but, which is why things like, like IMA are incredibly important, um, and super, super healing and, um, just empowering for, I remember like, I, I hadn't really been playing that many shows or doing much music at that point, but I realized I wanted to, and I felt like instead of kind of, instead of like scaring me, like, oh, this is the way the, the industry is, get ready for it, it was actually, it felt extremely empowering, and it was, I feel like it kind of got me ready to go out and, and not have to defend myself, but like, you know, out of fear, but have to, you know, but become, like, learn how to call myself a musician or you know, an engineer, um, you know, studio, studio dog without actually, you know, also having the, that prefix, that, that woman musician, woman engineer, woman. Yeah. Um, well, I can tell you it, um, uh, when I heard about the, the IMA, I was really excited to think that uh, my daughter is close enough that if she wants to do that next summer, she can, um, because, you know, it, it, we're, we're really fortunate because we live in this weird area where, um, things that are, are still things in other parts of the country are less so now. Western Mass, um, you know, we have a disproportionate amount of arts. We have a disproportionate amount of tolerance, uh, you know, for lifestyles, for ethnicities, for you name it. Western Mass is, you know, not to toot our own horn here, but we're a little ahead of the curve in in some of these critical areas, uh, and and I think that yeah. I'd like to see, you know, this is me on my soapbox. I'd like to see these values kind of seep into, you know, like sort of bleed over uh, state lines and just sort of spread from here, as if Western Massachusetts is sort of like the cradle of of some of these values. Uh, and, and, you know, you, it's, it's, you're sort of living in it, but you're also creating it at the same time, doing what you do. If that makes any sense at all. Maybe it doesn't. Well, no, I, I appreciate that. I'm honored to, to hear that. That's something I'd like to be able to do. So that's good. Well, every time somebody listens to your music, they are participating in a change. You know, they don't have to know it. They don't even have to think about it. Um, if you listen to Wishbone Zoe enough times, it is just a great, great album. Uh, both of them, both Fossil's Dream and um, All These Oddities. Was that the, the first album, mm-hmm. All These Oddities? Mm-hmm. Which I love. Yeah, that's it. Now, you have mentioned some other artists. And, and since we're on the topic of, of women in music, we'll just... Just touch briefly. You were involved in the uh, the Women's Songwriter Collective a little bit. Uh, what is that? Okay. Right. Um, well, I'd say I would say a little bit. Just as uh, we haven't been doing too many shows now, just um, as there's been you know major changes in in kind of um, in the lives of the personnel. Um, Krista ended up having a baby, and um, Lisa graduated from medical school. 
But um, it had it had been um, it's been about two years or so, a little over two years, and that was kind of um, that came up through an idea that Katie Sachs, who was kind of the um, she ended up kind of founding it. She was a friend of all of ours. Um, there were six of us all together, our six of us. And um, there were six of us at the time who were kind of getting together and kind of writing songs together and learning each other's songs and kind of came up with this concept of a network for um, women songwriters, technically, in the Valley. And um, we ended up doing a couple residencies with... Um, at the Thirsty Mind in South Hadley, or we did this one there at least um, at one point, and hosted these nights where we would have other women songwriters, like other other female musicians, um, kind of open and, and do some sets as well. We also did one at Luthiers in East Hampton. So, um, like I said, I haven't been doing too many shows as of now with uh, Whisk, but there have been, yeah, it was just, when it's when it's all together, it's this, this huge force. It, it seems like it. I mean, it seems like a great idea, and it's it's a way of sort of multiplying your your powers. Um, yeah. You know, so I, I, I I'm glad to I'm glad to see that these sorts of collaborations. I, I my so for reasons that we don't understand, Sarah has gone bye bye, but we're gonna get her back. Just you wait. And we're back with Sarah Kohansky, uh, who is Wishbone Zoe. And um, we had a little bit of t- technical difficulty there for a minute. And that's why this isn't live. That's why this isn't radio, um, because we can go, go back and fix stuff. Um, one day I may have a radio show, and I won't be able to fix stuff. So hopefully I get my practice in before that day comes. Um, but I did want to talk a little bit more about about a couple of things. The first thing I wanted to do is find out where did the name Wishbone Zoe come from? Um, well, Zoe was the name of the dog who I grew up with, technically. Um, she lived to be 17, and we got her right after moving out to Western Mass in Boston when I was very little. And, um, I don't know. Uh, there was that. I figured, you know, I started, um, playing a lot of my own solo stuff around the time that she was getting very old and wanted to kind of give her a bit of a bit of an homage. And then also, weirdly, um, I would have, um, you know, when someone couldn't remember my name, there were about, you know, maybe two or three times in my life where um, someone would accidentally call me Zoe or would think that my name was Zoe. So, I don't know. It was, it was kind of a bizarre sort of phenomenon that doesn't happen anymore, but kind of, I guess, does. Doesn't happen because you adopted the name. Right, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, I don't know, as far as Wishbone goes, it's a mystery. Well, we'll leave that mystery. We'll let uh, you you mentioned that you uh, you went to school for art, and you have another website besides wishbonezoe dot com. It's uh, sunbeams and turpentine, uh, which is your your visual uh, site. You want to tell us about your 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 that side of you? Sure. Yeah. Well, that's um that's something that I've been 
kind of trying to integrate into my music for a long time, pretty much forever. Um, and currently it kind of, I don't know, um, it kind of shows up as in um, flyers that I do and um, a couple of music videos that I'm working on now, actually, as well. But um, <clears throat> I don't know, my mom, uh, once again, <clears throat> kind of influenced from, <clears throat> from the environment. Um, my mom is a visual artist as well, and so I kind of grew up doing just drawing things as well. So I ended up going to, to school for art, and um, have since then been kind of figuring out a way to to work that into what I do musically. Well, it's um, it does seem to parallel your music pretty well um, in at least two regards. One that it's 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 very striking, and some of the images are a little bit disturbing. Um, and you have to stop. And the other way is that you really kind of have to think. Um, a lot of these these works are are ponderous, uh, and I mean that in the the best possible way. You have to stop and think, and try to figure out what um, where you're coming from. And and I'm wondering if um, if you are looking to to explore a particular theme or a set of themes, or are you um, just being inspired by what you see around you in the world today? Um, it's more of, honestly, a lot of it is very just kind of observatory sort of things and um, things that kind of come out of my head. Not too many huge, um, heavy scenes. Um, although I was for a while, um, thinking about some very, um, I was very, um, conscious of the food system and, uh, a lot of environmental topics of that kind. So that kind of went into, into what I did visually a little bit. But um, I don't know, I've consistently and um, I've consistently been interested just in um, characters and just human beings who just, I, don't know, I like the idea of seeing a bunch of different people and kind of just trying to imagine what their stories are like. Um, of what their lives are like and, and who they are and why they choose to present themselves certain ways. So that's, um, I don't know, I find that very inspirational in that sense. So I find that kind of goes into my music and also my art. So that's kind of a, a big thing is, is the visual aspect or the um, ah, kind of the physical appearance of, of things and it's kind of without much of a, of a backstory, kind of leaving the, leaving that to the imagination. Yeah. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, what, uh, what do you have coming up in the, uh, in the, this summer? I know you've got some shows playing. Do you ever, do you ever uh, display your art at your shows, by the way? Um, I'm kind of working on a way to, to do that. I, um, not so much as of now. I think um I think that um a projector if you could get your hands on a decent projector I think that your your uh your listeners would would really uh they would flock to this to these visuals I really do um you know I don't know I don't know what kind of a projector I don't have any experience at all in that that world but I'm sure that uh, there's got to be one 
uh, that you could yeah. use to to sort of in- integrate that maybe i'd love to see it i can tell you that um so what do you have coming up this summer you've got a couple of shows in western mass right indeed yeah i'm actually planning one on um uh monday the 29th that's in east hampton platinum pony and it is with an artist called native eloquence who's from california so that'll be neat nice nice so june 29th east hampton um i have said this to a number of you pioneer valley musicians um you've got to come out our way because um Oh, I'd love to. The Berkshires are not far, and there is a music scene. There's, there just aren't enough venues that are convenient and accessible and and dependable. So, I think that if we can get uh, more of a of a base, then there'll be a market, and then somebody will say, you know what, I'm going to open up a sh- uh, I'm going to open up a a hall. A music hall, because I think that's what we need. We need, we basically need like an iron horse out here, and we need a, a couple of smaller venues. Um, mm-hmm. We have some, we do have some, but uh, but I think that um, of the musicians around here that I talk to, they feel like there's not enough places to play. But I also wonder if that's because there just isn't enough. Um, we're just maybe not loud enough. Maybe we're just not loud enough. Yeah, maybe. I'd love to be able to come up there. Um, my friends. We're in a band called The Leafies You Gave Me, and then um, my friends are in a band called And The Kids, and both of them played at MCLA, I believe, last year. Um, and I've been kind of needing to get out that direction ever since. Yeah, we have a, uh, we've got a, North North Adams has a pretty strong um, history, at least in the last few years, of, of really um make of opening its doors to to musicians and uh, we've had a couple of great ones we've got uh, uh if you get a chance i don't know what you're doing on the on thursday but we have the opening of our down street arts festival it's in, it's a summer long arts festival and um it's open galleries pop-up galleries music uh all kinds of great stuff going on and uh, we start uh on my birthday on the 25th um oh, nice. w- with a concert by a fantastic Negrito, and if you get a chance to uh, to see them, that you can you can Google them. They're they're all over the the, the web now. Uh, they were the Tiny Desk Concert winner. Uh, oh, nice for NPR. Yeah, he's uh, he's quite a character, and he's got quite a story. Uh, but if you have any means of coming out here. I think you would enjoy the hell out of that because it's a free concert and it's in the street and rain or shine. Um, should be a great day. So, yeah, um, you know, I would love to see you out here. And uh, definitely, if you do come out here, I know you'll you'll let me know first so I can I can promote that idea. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right, so where can people go to get Fossil's Dream or, or um, your equally wonderful uh, first uh, release, um, all these oddities. Um, well, both of them are on Bandcamp, um, which can be accessed through my uh, through my website or just through Bandcamp under uh, Wishbone Zoe. So wishbonezoe.com. Indeed. Easy right. as pie, right there, and um, and yeah, and you've even got a couple of videos there too. I'm checking it out, or at least a I video. Do. Huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's there's one, and we're working on a couple more right now. So working on a couple for for Fossil Stream this year. So they should be out by the fall, the summer. Okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, eager and attentive listeners, uh, I want you to give Sarah Kohansky, Wishbone Zoe, um, lots of love and go, go visit her, go download her. Uh, you can get it as a digital download, download, right? Yeah, that's the case. Yeah. Uh, that seems to be the way, the way music is going anyway. So, but, uh, but hey, you know, CDs are available too. So why not? Um, I'd love to be able to get, um, more physicality. I'm figuring that out, how to, how to get physical CDs through Bandcamp. Oh, can you, can you get physical CDs, um, through your, through your site anywhere or no? Not yet. Um, not currently, but I, this, uh, I'm working on it. I've okay. working with a couple of okay. people to, to figure that out. Well, you know, it's, uh, I think for now the download is a, is a fine solution. Um, so yeah, uh, do check out, um, do check out if you can, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, check out her show. I guess you've got a show earlier. You've got one tomorrow night in Florence at the Cup and Top. That's a pretty. That's a pretty small. I don't want to send like fifteen thousand people there because I think <laughs> they can fit. Well, it would be cool. It's going to be a cool, cool event. It's all kind of. It's a. It's similar to to what you were describing next Thursday at the Florence is doing. A, it's called Florence Night Out. So it's. It's art and music and stuff kind of all day. That's very cool. All right. Well, if you can't make it to that, the 29th in East Hampton at the Platinum Pony, uh, people should go check that out. And in the meantime, to get you psyched, go pick up a download of her CDs so that you can really get in the mood. Um, Sarah, I want to thank you so, so much for being on Indies and Exposure here at the Greylock Glass. And I wish you the very best 2015. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, you too. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. The guy didn't popped all the pain balloons. Jaws dropped all around. And then Elliot picked this down. I don't know where he found it. And then he hurled it, hurled it, you owner. I love Fargo and Fargo loves me I heard voices in my head so I smashed my TV I'm not interested in what you're trying to sell me Why are you trying to manipulate me? Why are you trying to manipulate me? Outcast candles ties Everybody pick a side of that go light Outcast what ties Everybody close your eyes to the spectacular Are looking rather gravely at us, and we keep our eyes conveniently apart. The sharks and butterflies, when they're dead behind on glass, don't give a fuck about your innovative arch. We'll give a fuck about your poignant modern art. Out.
shut on their ears will always see the world their way. And they'll fight the fatigue in their arms as they hold them so they don't have to hear what you say. So they don't have to hear what you say. And now I am not a diplomat that keeps a vial of cynicism pushed in my pocket to wash my hands of the world. No, I really tie myself to the tracks like this because I want to see my wings unfurl. Because I want to see my wings unfurl. Perhaps those who may be among us for the first time may be wondering what is going to happen now. What you're going to hear about is nothing short of a miracle. It's dramatically new, made possible only through years of research, invention, and innovation. Living stereo. I'm therefore going to ask anyone here who is not in tune with us to submit to a very simple process of control. Now, I would have thought that anybody who just got through Gumbo Jumbo by Wishbone Zoe, which is what you just heard, would have been sufficiently indoctrinated into this process of control. But there are some hard cases out there, and you know who you are. Uh, people you just can't reach. And for that situation, for those people, uh, we do have uh, this special uh, segment of the show known as Controlled Controlled Exposure, Exposure. which is a little audio treat for you. Uh, We don't tell you in advance that we're going to play it. We don't tell you who it's going to be uh, before the show starts. It's just, we just pop it on you and let you sort of flounder around. Uh, Oftentimes, we we want to feature an artist we hope to have on the show for a conversation. And and this is no exception. Uh, The song is Ghosting by Mark Schwaber. And we have, we featured him, uh, well, I featured him. You weren't there, I don't think. Uh, back on the Mongols' howl, and we hope to have him on the show. Uh, he's still out there making music better than ever, and uh, and I had an email exchange with him uh, a week or so ago, and he's excited to be to be on. So let's hope we can arrange that in the near future. Right now, let's go to ghosting from Mark Schwaber. Forget, but something's lurking under this It's barely left 
was no accident that I paired Mark Schwaber with Wishbone Zoe in this episode. In fact, they played a show together at The Bing in Springfield back in late April of this year. So let's hope we can get him on the program real soon uh, to talk about what he's going on, what he's got going on these days. Um, and that is our show, uh, weighing in at just under 90, 90 minutes. Uh, it was a little bigger than I thought it would be, but boy, was it worth it, huh? I promised you a powder keg of an episode, and that's what I delivered. Um, starting off with Fantastic Negrito, working our way through that interview, speaking with Wishbone Zoe, playing some of her tunes, um, Mark Schwaber. It's, uh, it just gets better and better and better every episode. I love it. So today was, what was it? It was my, it was my birthday, June 25th, 2015. Uh, again, I am your host, Jason Velasquez, known in other realms as the mongrel. Uh, I hope to have you back here next week. Bye.